This is Lab Medicine Rollins, a curated podcast for physicians, laboratory professionals, and students. I'm your guest host, Ann Moyer, a pathologist in laboratory genetics and genomics and associate professor of laboratory medicine and pathology at Mayo Clinic. Today, we're rounding with Justin Kreuter, a transfusion medicine pathologist and assistant professor of laboratory medicine and pathology at Mayo Clinic to discuss how to create strong professional presentations. Now, Dr. Kreuter, thank you so much for joining us. I think this is a really important topic, and I'm excited to hear what you have to say about presentations. Hey, thanks so much. It's it's close to my heart and something that I've really focused on coaching with our learners here at Mayo lately. Well, let's jump right into some questions and hear more about this great topic. So I think the first question that I've really got is thinking about being a pathologist. Why is it important that our audience deliberately practice making strong professional presentations? I think that this focuses on how we show up in life. I mean, what academic medicine is or even those that aren't in academic medicine that might be in private practice, maybe doing uh, presentations, interacting with colleagues at our institution. There's an element of those of us that are students that are listeners, you're going to be preparing for job presentations in the near future. I know for our Transfusion Medicine Fellowship, we ask our applicants to give a job talk. I know when I was on the interview trail, I was doing lots of job talks before you know, I got what my uh, mother-in-law calls my big boy job. So that's an important element. I think that also this networking, right? Like I say, both uh, internal and external. So in our institutions next week, I think in part because I've curated a little bit of a reputation for giving talks, I'm going to be able to give grand rounds to our emergency medicine group, right? So that gives me an opportunity to share ways that we can work and do better together. And then also uh, presentations at national meetings in internal medicine. It's wonderful to be able to share the transfusion medicine perspective with other groups. So I think whether you're looking at being more effective in your job through networking or getting the job that you want, being able to deliver a strong presentation is really a key aspect of getting that job. Yeah, I completely agree. I don't think I appreciated when I was going into pathology just how often I would be giving presentations myself, but you can do all the best work you want in your office, but if you don't have a way to communicate that information to others, it doesn't really get as far as your message could get, so completely agree. Well, another question that I've got for you is everybody is talking about, you know, it's important to make a really strong professional presentation, but what have you seen? Like, what are some of the common missteps that you've noticed in professional presentations? Yeah, I, I think one of the big ones that actually is very easy to address, but I see quite a bit is too short. I see this in our trainees and I also have seen this professionally. In fact, just very recently, I was at a uh, Grand Rounds internally, right? That was uh, the presenter went and I think finished their presentation at about 35 minutes into the hour. And that was with questions. And so, you know, something to realize is some people may have the perspective of, hey, you know, let's be efficient, let's hit this topic and go on about our day, or maybe I'll give a presentation for half an hour and 
anticipate that there's going to be a half an hour of questions, but I think professionally to know that for those that are giving CME credit for your presentation, if you go for 35 minutes, that group actually cannot grant that one hour of CME. If you go for 35 minutes, they can only grant a 0.5 credit. So if for people that have invited you to give a talk, if you short the talk, that actually interferes with their normal process of giving people continuing medical education credit for one. I think for two, it just kind of falling short has this general appearance of not really knowing the topic, right? So this internal presentation that I went to recently is one of the junior faculty that presented, and it was a very big stage for them to present on. Like I say, they stopped at about 35 minutes into the hour. You know, there are a few questions, and then, you know, I think the sort of kiss of death comment that came from one of the leaders in the audience, or at least in my mind, I sort of, ooh, I heard the comment, they're like, nice overview. I think that is a reflection of probably somebody who has not necessarily practiced on giving a strong academic presentation because it's not practiced when they were invited to do this. I think they've done what they've done in the past, but failed to recognize that the stage they were on was uh, leveled up and so uh, didn't look so good. So that's why I'm always giving feedback to our learners if they short a presentation that it's not only uh, best practice for making the best of an opportunity, but uh, it really conveys how we are perceived with our colleagues. I think that's a really good point. It's important to know your audience when giving a presentation. And as you progress through your career, the expectations tend to get a little bit higher. And when you've got the opportunity to give a talk, it's good to make the most of it. Another example that I see that's kind of a common misstep is that people just focus on what is in the textbooks, right? And I think that I, I did this too back in the day of, you know, you were asked to do a presentation and you, you open up a textbook and because I wasn't an expert in that area, I basically each paragraph would become a new slide with whatever the topic sentence for that paragraph was. When you give that kind of a presentation, that kind of is that audience member's feedback of nice overview, right? If you're presenting stuff that's in the textbook, that's stuff that most of your audience probably already knows if you're kind of giving it to the group, you're not really sharing any of the interesting insights. And we can kind of dive into this a little bit. The third thing that I see as a common misstep is just the organization of the slide where it's too much information. We see the person classically like, I apologize. I don't expect you to see this, but I just wanted to put this here. What would be best is if we stop and reflect and think about what's the best way to convey this information. Should we break it up and then we can focus on individual aspects rather than just have it be this everything on the slide? You know, the other thing I see a lot is people will put full sentences on there and essentially the slides become their cue cards, which I think we all now, I, I feel like I've, I've reached out and touched the audience and I think we've all cringed in those experiences where somebody is reading their slides to us. I think those are all some really good tips. So I guess thinking about putting together a presentation, what sort of tips would you have for people for how you get to the point where your slides are nice and clean and they don't have sentences and they've got the key points? Like, do you have a strategy for how you start? 
Yeah, yeah. So for me, one of my kind of mind-blowing experiences was Dr. Armstrong at Harvard. I, I did a, a training course with her for medical education, and she had written a paper talking about how to uh, sequence through information professionally. And so she has this four-step model, and there's a paper that we can put as a link in the show notes to, and it walks through the cognitive science behind why to do it this way. But basically, it's I like it because it's a four-step model. So you start off by talking about why something is important, right? So in other words, why are you going to pay attention to me as the presenter? And this is where I think for a lot of people, I see them, people will often share a clinical case to deliver. I think that's a great way to kind of share like why this is important. I think there's many strategies to go about this, but regardless, that's the hook that you're trying to do. And then once you've got that hook and you've explained like why this is important stuff, then to dive into the what, the factual information, the background somebody really needs to understand. And again, that's where I think that more novice learners make that what the remainder of their presentation. But to understand that that what is really just, that's box two <laughs> of your information. The way that you showcase that your expertise and command of the information is by then going into the how. So it's great that you understand the factual information, right? But like, okay, if you're giving a presentation and, and you're a, a trainee at my institution, I'm going to probably ask questions. What's our practice here at Mayo Clinic? Or what are the variables that would change how we do that at our institution? Or, you know, if you were to take a job in another practice setting, what would be those variables for how you would set it up, right? Because like uh, how we do things here does not make sense for many other types of practices. And, and that's the way you're conveying that command of the information and giving something that's actually valuable to the audience, right? Because a lot of people can crack the textbook and understand, you know, those what fundamentals of information. But as you're demonstrating what are the variables and how would you put this together as a practice in various practice settings, you're really demonstrating expertise. And that's, I think, a lot of value. You could imagine yourself giving a presentation at a hospital you really want to get a job at. And by really explaining the ins and outs of something, the, oh my gosh, this person really knows their stuff and really has command of this. And then the way you really hit it home then is the last quadrant is thinking about the, the if and going forward. So this is also where probably very junior learners probably struggle with like, hey, I just started this rotation two weeks ago. Like, how the heck am I going to know where is the literature going on this? But I think that's where you're showing how resourceful you are of like, hey, you've got mentors in all these areas. Go to Dr. Moyer and ask her like, hey, this is in your area of expertise and where is the literature going on this? And then you incorporate that into that presentation. Again, if you're giving a job talk somewhere to show that you not only you know know the information you understand how to apply it in various contexts but then you can showcase like hey you're aware of the current literature and where things are going now i think that hits a home run 
Oh, I just love that framework. That definitely puts it into context. Only have to think about four things. And I completely agree. All the presentations I've seen, even if it's something that's not in my area, as long as there's enough background that you've got an understanding of it, and then it gets put into perspective about how you could actually use that and where the field is going, that definitely makes for a really exciting presentation. I just love those tips. Those are great. For more laboratory education, including a listing of conferences, webinars, and on-demand content, visit mayocliniclabs.com forward slash education. I guess then the next thing is that really helps someone get their slides organized and figure out how they're going to put their talk together in general, but eventually they actually have to deliver the talk. And depending on how badly you want that job or whatever's going on, you might end up rehearsing this talk many times to make sure that it's actually going to take the amount of time you're expecting and that you can get through your slides smoothly. But how do you make sure that you don't get to that point where it almost sounds too rehearsed? Yeah, yeah. Well, just uh, hit back on the first part as you started asking that question, getting the slides nice, right? I think that's another aspect I hadn't addressed in that quadrant, but there's books out there like Presentations Zen and other things that help you. How can you visually convey the points that you're trying to? So I, I'd recommend people check out those resources. But then how do you practice? For me, one of the key things is when I practice, I print out my uh, presentation, we can do those where it's like three slides and like the lines on the right side of the page. So it's three of your slides and the lines. And that forces me to not write out verbatim what is going to be said, but it allows me to put the bullet points on what I want to talk about. I think by not having a script written out that helps me practice just off the cuff. How do I address this topic and then go into the next topic? Because I think a lot of times when somebody sounds too rehearsed, that's especially now with virtual presentations and people have the uh, presenter view and they can literally read it. You know, we all know when that is occurring. And I think that's occurring because we're sort of also forgetting that anytime you're doing a presentation, you are hopefully having some kind of a give and take call and response from the audience. Ideally, those are the best presenters because hearing a presentation is inherently a passive sport. And sort of our challenge to give a great presentation is to make it more active, that somebody is engaging with it. They're not doing other things or mentally checked out thinking about other things. And so that's where, as you practice, think about how are you engaging with the audience? How is it feeling like you're trying to engage them in a natural conversation? Are we pausing? Are we asking questions as we're diving into things and, and kind of giving that pause? And, and I don't know if acting classes are what we need to go to, but sort of acting through these emotions that we're feeling, I think, go a long way. So I think that's, at the end of the day, do it bullet points, practice the heck out of it. 
but practice the heck out of just being able to generally talk about these points, thinking that I'm trying to have a interaction with you. So that's where it's the eye contact. One of the nice present things that I was reminded of uh, recently as we get ready to interview new applicants is that what does eye contact look like in this virtual environment is like, okay, if I'm looking at Dr. Moyer, she is here, but my camera is up here. Eye contact in the virtual world is looking directly at that camera lens, which isn't necessarily our usual thing. So you try to position things as closely as you can. So your default, because inevitably, if I put this on the other screen, I would be like looking over here. I feel like I'm looking at you. But of course, the audience is like, wait a minute, he's checked out. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely been a whole new world when we've done so many more virtual interactions and presentations versus back in the day when you could actually see your audience right there in front of you. But I think those are some really good tips. Mine is that I try to put the person that I'm talking to underneath of the camera so that it feels like I'm still looking at them, but I'm hopefully getting my eyes on that camera a bit more. So those are definitely some great tips. So the last question I've got for you, I think is something that many of our trainees might face, is sometimes, especially if you're a learner and you're presenting to a group of people that probably know more about the topic than you do, then sometimes it's hard to feel confident and like you really have the expertise. Do you have any tips for the learners, especially who are presenting on these topics when they when they're in that situation where maybe they aren't an expert yet, but they're trying to do the best they can to do well on their rotations and develop expertise? Yeah, absolutely. I think this threads to this conversation earlier where we were talking about being resourceful and reaching out to mentors in your area, right? At the end of the day, probably at the beginning of the day, medicine is a team sport. And so it's it's not the lone wolf. Certainly in laboratory medicine and pathology, that is not the case. <laughs> so given that it's a team sport, this is another way we can practice this is by coming out to colleagues and, and asking them for those elements to make sure you're really delivering a strong presentation. Because I absolutely do not expect some learner in their second year of pathology residency to give a presentation where they are absolutely citing the right literature and knowing where the field is going. Do I expect that? Absolutely. I want them to practice that skill. And I think that requires that they are being resourceful, reaching out to colleagues. And, you know, let's just back up for a second. I do the same thing. I mentioned earlier that I, I'm giving grand rounds to my emergency medicine colleagues. You better believe that I have run by certain points by them and understanding, hey, what do you think about if I talk about this, that, or the other thing? And I've kind of shopped around and understood what falls flat with them, what's really of particular interest to them so that I can deliver a better presentation. So even though I'm an expert in my area of transfusion medicine, I'm going and delivering it to a different community. And so my presentation is helped by reaching out to my friends in that community and doing a little bit of legwork ahead of time to make sure that it plays as good as I want it to be. 
That's definitely a great tip. And I couldn't agree more about lab medicine and medicine in general, definitely being a team sport. So I think even people that are well-seasoned in their careers are often reaching out to the person organizing a conference or inviting you to give a talk just to make sure that you're really covering the topics that they were hoping that you would be covering. So definitely some great advice there. Well, we've been rounding with Dr. Kreuter about creating strong professional presentations. Thank you so much for taking the time to discuss this topic with us. I think these have been some fantastic tips that you've shared, and hopefully they'll be useful to our audience at all levels of their careers. And to all of our listeners, thank you for joining us today. We invite you to share your thoughts and suggestions via email to mcleducation at mayo.edu. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. Until our next rounds together, we encourage you to continue to connect lab medicine and the clinical practice through educational conversations. Thanks again for joining us.